0: Tonight, we are going to continue uh, studying the book of Joshua, and um, we, hey, we're going to study something that um, a lot of the world has trouble with. It, it's the beginning of the siege of Canaan. A lot of the world thinks that this is where God becomes hypocritical, uh, similar to Noah's ark. How could we say that we have a loving God, and then God goes and just makes it rain for 40 days? <laughs> And we're going to talk about that tonight. Uh, I've entitled the the, the sermon, Will You? Uh, As you'll see, we kind of have two parts to this passage we're going to read. We're going to read the end of chapter 5, where this mysterious man appears. And and that's the first part. And then the second part is kind of the crazy big question. Uh, Will you do what God commands you to do? As we'll see here, God commanded something maybe even crazier than he did last week in the first half of Joshua chapter 5. So please join me as we read uh, scripture from tonight, starting in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, through to um, verse 7 in chapter 6. It's on page 119 in your uh, pew Bible. It says this, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites, and no one went out and no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse, and the people will go up, and every man straight in. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, we have these two parts. We have this mysterious man that Joshua encounters, that we find out is the commander of the Lord's army. And then, we have this big question where God asks Joshua something that seems completely ridiculous. And so the first we're going to talk about is this man. And it's a really interesting passage, and I'm not going to drag it out. I just want to be really clear here. Uh, Joshua sees this man and asks him a very important question. He's got a battle coming up. He wants to know who this person is, and he sort of says, hey, who are you for? Us or Jericho? Us or our enemies? And the man's answer is so surprising. If you've never heard this story before, you'd sort of think, oh, well, obviously this is the Bible, and this, this man will say that he is for Joshua and, and the Israelites, and he's there to support them, and he's going to help them, and, and he says, neither. I sometimes wonder what Joshua thought when he first heard that. <laughs> but, but, but true enough, the guy says, I am for neither, but I am the commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua falls at his feet and worship, and he says, "Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground." And Joshua does it. And we see here at the beginning of this conquest, at the beginning of this war with the people of Cana, the Amorites and the Philistines and the Canaanites, and all of these people, we hear about the very beginning of the war. We hear and we see that God is not necessarily for anybody or against anybody, but that God is for holiness chiefly above all else, that God desires holiness. And the critics, as I said, of the Old Testament will will portray the Old Testament God as a murderer, as someone who hates different people groups, that he hates the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Philistines just for being them. We see that's just not the case. That God, in fact, doesn't favor the Israelites over the Canaanites for who they are, but for what they do, for how they live whether or not they pursue God and his holiness or themselves. We have three essential verses here that teach us how God views these things and what is most important. And anyone who says that God hates any people or that God is unfair to any people simply hasn't read Scripture. Because not only do we have these three verses, but we have John 3.16, For God so loved the world, all of the world, and everyone in it, Jews, Gentiles. And remember Rahab, this woman who called out to God, this Canaanite woman who calls out to God the only way she knows how, and God hears her and grants her request. And so when they go to this man, who are you for? Us or our enemies? He says, neither. And here, the way I see it is that God places nothing above holiness. He is for the Lord. It sounds weird to say that the Lord is for himself, but he is. Because in this world of brokenness, in this world of sin, and in this world of pain, the only thing that is just and right and worthy of our worship is God. And we have this moment, this moment of worship with Joshua, where he says, hey Joshua, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua falls down before him and he says, what? Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. The same way Moses did before the burning bush. This is an important, important section of this little part of Scripture. There's three little verses about this mysterious man. But we learn that God is not necessarily for us or our enemies, but for holiness. And we learn that Joshua, the same way God showed himself to Moses for the leadership of the people continues the mantle of leadership of God's people in this same way. In the end of Joshua chapter 5, remember this. Most people remember Joshua 1.9, right? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And that's good, and we should remember that. But the very last sentence of chapter 5 I absolutely love, and it sort of sums up what we ought to do when God calls us to do something. And Joshua did so. This is Joshua's life. The Lord calls him to something. The Lord asks something of him. And Joshua did so. See, brothers and sisters in Christ, obedience to God is not asking why all the time or asking someone to prove it. You know, we have, some of you or many of you are probably familiar with the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6 many generations later. And God calls Gideon the same way he calls Joshua. But Gideon, to his failure, says, okay, well, hold on a second. You know, this the whole thing with the fleece. He says, okay, in the morning, I want the dew to be everywhere but the fleece. And he said, okay, well, that was pretty good. Now we're going to switch it. And then, and, then he, and then he makes him go through all of these hoops. And God does it because God's good and, and merciful and gracious. But when we look at Joshua, we see a man after God's own heart. And Joshua did it. And sadly, many of us are more like Gideon. We feel that God is calling us to something, and we, we, we feel that we should worship or do something, and we sort of say, okay, God, well, maybe, maybe if you showed me a little more, or maybe if you proved it here, just made sure. And I, I don't think that's how God works. And it leads us into chapter 6, and it leads us in to then what the Lord will tell Joshua. In verses, or chapter 6, verse 1, it says that this city of Jericho was locked up. No one was going out. No one was coming in. You know, and this wasn't just, uh, uh, well, I actually have um, some pictures. Um, Michael, will you go to the, the next slide? So this is a little hard to see, but you can see this is modern-day Jericho. It's called, uh, it's a tell, you know, like a hill, like an archaeological mount, tell as sultan. And it's this big hill. And if you go to the next slide, this is what they think it probably looked like. So it was a city on the hill, but what's crazy about it, and this, keep in mind, is is 1,500, 1,400 or 1,500 before Christ. They think, archaeologists think this is probably one of the first major fortified walled cities in the history of the world. So if you think about this, it wasn't like there were catapults and all of these things you think of when you think of sieging a castle in a walled city. This was a fortified masterpiece in the ancient world. How in the world would you get through that? Not only is it on a hill, but there's these two walls, and how how are we going to take this, God? What are we going to do? You know, archaeology tells us that this was not just a city. We read the word city, and that's what we have, but this was a fortified military fortress. But in verse 2, God says that he has delivered it to them. So Joshua what's the plan? You know, what are we gonna do? You know, if you're like me, you love some guys are guilty of this. I love war movies, right? I just absolutely love war movies. And I think of castles and, and, and historic things and I think of how are they gonna do that? Are they gonna have, you know, catapults and are they gonna have trebuchets and are they gonna have battering rams and how are they gonna do this? I I confess, those of you who know me, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings nerd, and when I was thinking about this this story in Sieging Jericho, I was thinking of, in the movie or the book, Two Towers, where they have Helms Deep, that fortress in the mountain. And what are they going to do? What does God come up with, you know? How are they going to take this castle down? And then verses 3, 4, and 5, he says, uh, you're going to march around it once a day. You're going to have trumpets. And then in front of you, you're going to carry the Ark of the Covenant, which if you don't know is essentially a giant gold box with two sticks. And what you're going to do, Joshua, is you're going to march around once a day for seven days. And on the seven days, you're going to do seven times. And then, the great military plan for this fortified, you know, impregnable fortress is then you're just all going to shout. You're just going to scream. You're just going to yell. Now, No tunnels, no secret plans, no deception, nothing outwardly cool, if I'm honest. It's kind of boring, and it seems a little far-fetched. But Joshua is in this position. Think of who he is and where he's been. He grew up in the desert wandering. He grew up following a pillar of smoke and fire at night. He grew up with manna from heaven... He has trusted God his entire life. Man, what would it be like to be in that same position where God would say something crazy to you and you would say, yeah, great, let's go. You know, hey, Where God would say, hey, you're going to walk around a city with, with trumpets and, and, and that's going to be our battle plan and you just don't even think of, you, yeah, great, let's go. You know, I, I, I long for that kind of faith. And in verse 6 to 7, Joshua does it. He goes to the leaders, and then following the rest of the story, we know the story. He goes and tells everyone what the plan is, and then they do it. And they follow through with it. And this is why I love Joshua so much. He, he may have thought in his mind, he may have doubted in his quiet heart of hearts, but, but really, truly, when it comes down to it, Joshua simply goes forward with what the Lord has called him to do. And immediately I read this, and I personally, and I confess this to you now, I have done the opposite, too many times. I feel the Lord calling me to do something or, or sort of leading me in a way. The way I've described it before is I feel how the Lord sort of squeezes my heart to something. And, and I feel like I should maybe do something, but then I sort of hesitate or I wait. Or maybe it's something that's really difficult or something I don't really want to do. Maybe it's because I'm afraid of what people might think of me, what people might say about me. What if it doesn't? What if I fail, Lord? We talked a few weeks ago about failure. What if I fail? What will people think? I mean, do you realize the songs we just sung and the prayers we pray? They're kind of crazy. Okay, you just sung this. Lord, take this life and let it become your throne. Take my life, Lord, my very life, my, my finances, my home, my job, my family, my interactions, my everything. Take this, this mess, and let it become your throne that you sit proudly upon and observe your kingdom. Something you can be proud of. How about this one? we just saying this too. Let my deeds outrun my words. Let let what I do outshine anything I could ever say. That when people see me, when people hear my name, that when people hear of me, they think that is a servant of the Lord. And that we don't have to try and convince them that we are a servant of the Lord. This this is the hardest one. I immediately regret singing this. Spirit lead me where my trust is without borders. Okay. Okay. I want you to think about how big and dangerous this is. You have just, by praying this prayer, or by singing this song, if you didn't sing it, well done. If you have just, but if you have just sung this song, here's what you have said. You have interceded on behalf of the living God and his Holy Spirit, which dwells inside of us, that has been in existence and will be in existence forever. This same spirit that lives in you, you have just interceded on its behalf to basically say, "I don't want to ever question you. I trust you fully, and there are no borders, and there are no limits to the amount that I trust you and you're leading in my life." <laughs> Prayer is terrifying. <laughs> yet our God loves us so much and cares for you so deeply that he knows your heart and he knows that even though we say things that are bigger than us and even though we claim things that sometimes our deeds don't outrun our words, he knows your heart and he knows this is what you desire. So when we pray that prayer, when we sing that song, let me encourage you. It may, you, you may not be perfect. Amen to that but don't do it casually. Don't do it flippantly. Don't do it in a way that you come to church and you you sing songs and you just say them out of habit like we talked about with our call to worship. Do it in a way that you are engaging with the living God, that the living God would show you who he wants you to be. The people of Israel, or soon to be people of Israel, the Hebrew people in love and obedience, decided to walk around a city with a gold box and blue trumpets for seven days. Imagine the the, the warriors of Jericho watching this. The first day, they think, oh, that's a little weird. Second day, they think, well, they're doing it again. Do they think this is scaring us? And by the fourth or fifth day, they're sort of wondering, what in the world is your God doing? What is happening? But for us, we know that God calls us to things people don't understand. That prayer, in, in a way, is very dangerous. You know, I was foolish enough when I was 21 years old as a youth pastor. In the U.S., they, uh, they have all these statistics about churches. And, and youth pastors, the average span for a youth pastor in the U.S. is, I don't even know what it is now. At the time, it was about a year. And what they said is, is that people would become youth pastors very naively. And they would just sort of fall into this position or do it because they thought it would be fun or whatever. And after a year, they would become so burnt out that they would leave ministry and never go back. And this was the average. The average span was about a year or less. And I remember one day, I remember exactly where I was. And I remember sitting there and I remember praying this very silly prayer. Lord, I don't want to be that person. Use me. Give me strength that I can endure. And here I am still in ministry. Uh, Twelve years later. The famous passage from Isaiah chapter 6. Who will I send? And Isaiah says, what? Here am I, Lord. Send me. And when Joshua is faced with the same decision, with a difficult decision, Joshua does it. Takes off his sandals and says, what's the plan, Lord? Let's do it. Go to war with trumpets? Great. Let's do it. So when we look at this passage, we see two things. We see God and His commander of his army, and God is saying, listen, I am not for you and I'm not for your enemies. I am for holiness. This doesn't mean God doesn't love them. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. But in modern times, it might look like this. God, are you for my business or the competing business? Neither. God, are you for this politician or this politician? Neither. God will use all ways and all avenues possible. It might be your work, it might be someone else's work. It might be the person you support, it might be the person someone else supports. It might be a mix of things you never even thought of. And yet people get in trouble with this all the time because maybe God was with them at one point or maybe they thought God was with them at one point and they take it and they run with it and then they get filled with pride and they think that God is on my side, I can do no wrong. You know, I don't often like to to criticize or or say this, but you see this all the time with, in America we have these guys that are called tele-evangelists, these evangelists on TV that are gajillionaires and have private jets. I don't think they're bad people. I think at one time God was with them and ordained them to do great things, but I think that they got filled with pride and selfish ambition and thought that God was with them no matter what, and they got out of control. I talked about this this morning in teaching on 3 John about pride and selfish ambition. But what we must see in this passage is that God is only for holiness above all else. God desires holiness. And looking at scripture, we see that God asking his people to do crazy things. I mentioned Noah, right? Think about Noah. Hey, build a boat, but it doesn't rain. What are you talking? No, it's going to rain. But what is rain? It doesn't make any sense. Why are you building a giant boat? Trust me. Hey, Abraham, why don't, or Abram, why don't you leave your family and leave your region and leave your land and go to a place I'm going to show you? Well, where is the place? Can I have a vision? Can I see it? Can I see a picture? Can I see a postcard? No, just come with me. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to give you descendants as many as the stars in the sky, but I'm 87 and I still don't have children. And oh, by the way, then I had my only son when I'm 100 years old. And oh, by the way, you're going to sacrifice him. Okay. And then you have Joshua, which we're studying him. Think about the disciples, the apostles. Hey, fishermen, you guys want to be fishers of men? Follow me. What was going through these guys' minds? What do you think their dads thought? They're in the family business, they're they're training to be fishermen, and one day, they just don't come home. They go out and these nets are laying around. What what are you guys thinking? What is God calling us to? Think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was so thick-headed that God had to actually stop him and blind him and put scales over his eyes so that he would get the message. God calls his servants to do big things sometimes. But what he desires above all else is that we would be obedient and that we would desire the same thing God desires, holiness. That which is good and right with this world. I mean, look at your life. Look at your past. Where has God brought you? Look at the big things God has done. Many of us come from another country. Think about the things that got you to here. Or maybe your parents are from other countries. Think about the things that brought your parents here. God has done great things. And the person who honors God above all else and is obedient to God, this becomes normal. This this craziness that the world sees becomes normal. The Bible is about God interceding with his creation to show us how good he is. I have a quote I want to share with you. Uh, I have have it on a slide, if you can go to it, Michael. It's after the pictures. Great. Abraham J. Heschel uh, was a 20th century rabbi. And if you've ever read any of his books, I would recommend it. Uh, He has one on the Sabbath, which is phenomenal. This is from his book on the prophets. This is what he says. The fundamental thought in the Bible is not creation, but God's care for his creation. Now think about that. This is coming from a Jewish rabbi that didn't even have the New Testament and how much Jesus loves us and 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 grace and everything. This is simply from the Old Testament. So from this man spending his entire life studying these stories that some people perceive as God being warmongering and hateful, this man who devoted his life to it sees it as a story of God's care for his creation. That all of these small stories and small parts of God's plan fit into His grand design and His grand plan for the universe that reveals to us how much He loves us. He goes on to say this, there's another one. Unless we share in His concern, in God's concern, we know nothing about the living God. What are God's concerns? Well, in this story, tonight, we have for the Hebrew people a couple of things, I would say. I would say holiness. And just so we know, when I say the word holiness, I mean being set apart. Right? That's all that word means, is being set apart. So the reason he gave the Israelites all these laws and rules and circumcision and the covenants was that they would be different than the people who already lived in the land. And so when we look at holiness, we're talking about this idea of just being set apart from the world. But for the Hebrew people in this story, he was looking for holiness, He was looking for obedience, and he was looking for trust. And I would argue, for us, it is no different. He is looking for holiness, he is looking for obedience, and he is looking for trust. Today in your daily life, what has God concerned you with that you see each day? What has God put in your life that you see, that you see around the city, that you see at your jobs, that you see in your family that you need to be praying for, that you need to desire God to come in and change? through holiness, obedience, and trust. Because if this is true, we need to learn how God sees this. We need to learn what his concerns are, and we need to train ourselves to see what God sees. I want to mention this as a challenge to us tonight. I was thinking about this passage, and I was thinking about this book, and and I'm thinking, gosh, how can I get to a point like Joshua? How could I see people and care about the things Joshua cares about? What would be the way to do that? And one of the things that I felt convicted about that I wanted to share with you and challenge you with is what do you choose to see or not to see? And and what do you see through your life and what do you filter through your life and how you see the world? Think about the screens you spend your time looking at the filters of the world that you spend your time looking at. The news stories with other people's opinions and other people's biases added in. You know, we see the world oftentimes how we want to see it. We choose to see the world in ways that are safe and comfortable how we want to see the world. And conventional knowledge would have told Joshua to come up with a much better plan than this. (laughs) A conventional knowledge would have said, no, that's silly, don't do that. Or while they're going around, then dig a secret tunnel and do something else. You know, try to trick them. You know, try to build some big ladders or something in case it doesn't work. But I believe that when I see this story, that God wants us to have this sort of dangerous prayer obedience to him. That our lives would be full of holiness, obedience, and trust. And that when we see the world and we see the things God is calling us to, that we would have the same sort of recklessness that Joshua has? Would you be willing to pray a prayer to really ask God to show you the world how he sees it? To see people how he sees people? I don't know about you, but there are times when humanity makes me very discouraged. The world has chosen to see only what they want to see. They've chosen to neglect entire people groups. They've chosen to abuse and take advantage of whatever they can. You know, I had a long conversation with someone recently about the idea of conservation, and um, it's been in my mind ever since then, and and I think it has God a little discouraged, too. How we've cared for his creation, how we've cared for his people, how we've decided to abandon obedience and holiness for, for what we desire. See, we think God is for us all the time, and we would go to God and we'd say, who are you for, us or our enemies? And God would say, neither. I'm for holiness. What are you doing? I read this story and I see a nation starting on the foundations of holiness and trust in God. And and, and what's unfortunate is they only have about one chapter where they really hit their stride, and then in chapter seven they mess up again. (laughs) We'll talk about that next week. But look at what's possible. Look at what God does through these people when they say, okay, yeah, we'll do it. It's a big question. It's a big ask, so to speak. You're asking something very difficult. And if you read the rest of Joshua chapter 6, you know what happens. They do it. The walls come tumbling down. Rahab and her family are saved and become part of the Israelite people. And it works. See, When we trust in God and seek his holiness, God will ask you things that may seem crazy, but they're not. This is why we read Matthew 14 tonight. Hey, hey Jesus, if it's you, have me come out to you on the water. All right, come on. And I wish I could have seen Peter's face. It's actually working. I'm actually doing it. Look at how great I am, blue, 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 and he starts sinking. When we follow God, when we trust God, when we actually pray these prayers and mean them in our heart, God will ask you to do things that are even bigger. This is what he means by the parable of the talents, you know. You've been faithful with two, I'll give you five. You've been faithful with five, I'll give you ten. God will keep challenging you and keep growing you and keep trying to get you to see the world the way he sees the world and how he cares for the world. So when you feel like God is asking you to do something difficult, you realize that's not just good for you, but it's good for God's plan, and it fits in with what God is doing in all of human history, which is caring for his creation, nurturing his creation, loving his very creation. And it also, as the song sang, it brings the kingdom to earth. It not just matures you and makes us all around better people, but it brings the kingdom of God to earth that other people would see you and they would see God. So the question is, is will you follow? God is not for you or against you. God is for holiness. And he invites you to take part in this holiness and to do that which honors him and honors his creation. And it's for that holiness that we enter into communion. It's for that holiness that Christ was totally obedient even to death on the cross. You know, we talk about communion all the time, and we talked about covenant last week and how important this is, and this is really what we're talking about, right? Christ, in obedience to his Father, God asked him, and it was a big one, right? Hey, give up your very life for these people. And Jesus, to his credit, not only went through with it, when he prayed, though, in the garden, We know this story, we talk about it each year at Easter. It it, it was still hard for Jesus. Take comfort in that. When God asks you difficult things, it's not always easy. Don't think that you're at one point going to get to this point where you're just this, this spiritual giant where it's not hard. The Son of God prayed the night before and said, Lord, I don't want to do this, but let it not be my will but yours. I think as followers of Jesus Christ, there's going to come a time when God asks us to do something big. It may not be to lay our life down, but it would be to say you'd be willing to. It may be to move around the world. It may be to love that person that you think is unlovable. It may be to give that which is irresponsible. I don't know. But my hope and prayer for you and for us as a church is that we would see these stories like this of Joshua and Noah and Abraham and all of these other seemingly crazy stories to the world. I mean, people laugh at these stories. And yet when I read them, I see men and women who were faithful and did what they didn't think was possible. And that through their obedience and through their trust, they saw more of God's holiness. They saw more of God's holiness in their life, and they saw more of God's holiness in the world around them. Please pray with me. Lord, as we enter into a time of communion... I pray that you would use this time to purify our hearts. Lord, refine, refine us in the fire. Lord, we pray dangerous and powerful prayers. Lord, I pray that we would have the strength and the confidence to continue. Spirit, lead us where our faith has no borders. Lead us out into the waters deeper than we think we can go, that we would learn to trust you more. Lord, thank you for Joshua. Thank you for his trust, how you cared and nurtured him. And Lord, I pray now that we, as your fellow sons and daughters, that you love just as you love Joshua. Lord, that when you call us, we would answer. That we would have a boldness to pray dangerous prayers, to intercede on the God of the universe for things that we can't even understand but that you do on your love and your mercy to us. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.